From Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. This is the Friday Vine Pair Podcast. And if you're listening to this on Friday, hopefully Joanna and I are in bed. <laughs> because we should be very tired from last night's party <laughs> for the Next Wave Awards. Yes. Especially if you listen to this first thing in the morning. Which, good on you. I hope this is your first listen Every Monday and Friday. Hope so many people listen. email us in the morning. It's so nice. Yeah. Thank you for making it your first listen. Yeah. It's really awesome. <laughs> Cup of coffee, Ryan Pear podcast. What more do you need to get your day started? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but so we did have the Next Wave Awards party last night and we released our second annual Next Wave Awards. Yes. It is a very large initiative here at Vine Pear that we started last year that we are very excited to finally have truly off the ground. Um, and Joanna, I thought we could take this episode to chat about the Next Wave Awards with you and Zach. And can you kind of remind the listeners what the Next Wave Awards are? Yeah, sure. So, so it's our annual initiative to recognize people across the wine, beer, and spirits industries who we feel are really pushing things forward. They've done amazing stuff so far. They they're they're making their respective industries like better for everyone else and they are setting an example. And um beyond that, you know, it the next wave awards are really meant to be a celebration of their creativity and innovation as well. So so just people who are making their respective industries like a really good and better place and more meaningful place and more creative place. Mm-hmm. And so we thought we'd take this episode to talk through some of those people. The one that I want to start off with is where we had the party last night, which is our bar of the year. Yes. Which is a bar we've been hot on for a while, but it is Double Chicken Please. Yes. Tell people about Double Chicken Please, Adam. Double Chicken Please is probably, in my opinion, is not probably, is the most experimental bar right now in the United States. They are doing really, really creative cocktails. Basically, the idea at Double Chicken Please is you are eating what you're drinking. And yes. it is a, a very unique concept. I think if you have been listening to the podcast for a long time, especially in the beginning of COVID, we had Gian, who is one of the owners of Double Chicken Please, he and Faye own it together, um, on the podcast to talk about Double Chicken Please when it first opened. And he referred to the concept as a sort of himself as almost like creative director and this and the double chicken please is not in fact a bar but a creative concept that you know can be lots of different things which i thought was really cool he and Faye both have design backgrounds um and you know went to university for design and so now are coming to the bar world through that they both worked at some of the best bars in the world before opening double chicken please and i think it's it's this really cool place because first of all i will say the space they're in used to be cursed like what there was lots of places that tried there was lots of things that tried Mm -hmm. to open in that space in the lower east side because it's a very weird it's a very weird bar there's almost two bars in one there's a front room and then a back room it's a huge space but you almost everyone everyone before them tried to just do one big bar or one big restaurant even though there's these clear clearly two different spaces and they've done a really great job of taking advantage of that so the front bar is all all cocktails on draft they have a whole long wall it's almost like you think you'd walked into a, a beer bar with all the taps but there's all these original cocktails they've created a lot of classics as well the tap tails yes which is super cool mm-hmm. and that's where you can get the chicken sandwiches mm-hmm. and then if you go to the back with a reservation you get these incredible cocktails that are that taste like food. So one of the cocktails is cold pizza. Another cocktail is cold sesame noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have a Waldorf salad. 
uh, just really, really unique, inventive drinks that are unlike anything else out there. I, I've never come across a, co- a cocktail program like this in the U.S. Um, I think it's why you know we've been so passionate about them, and they're you know they're also gaining recognition from other outlets. Yes. Um, but yeah, this this just this one felt extremely well deserved, and. Um, if you, the next time you are in New York, you have to drink here. Yeah. I think it feels so exciting because we're also like really interested to see how they continue to evolve yeah. the concept over the years. Cause they opened in 2020. Um, like Adam said, they've been getting recognition. We're so happy to have recognized them this year. Um, but I, I think they're such creative people. So it'll be really exciting to see what they do next. Exactly. And I want to ask you guys one question about this. Cause I have not had the opportunity to go there yet. When I, I remember when I got the audio for that uh, interview you did, Adam, with Jen, being yeah. listening to it and, and editing it and just sort of thinking to myself, like, okay, this sounds like a really interesting concept, but is it going to be one of those bars that people go to once and they're like, that was cool. I don't ever have to go there again. And it sounds like, in fact, it's a place that people could return to over and over again, which I think when you're talking about something that, let's say from the outside could border on seeming like gimmickry is really uh, a testament to what they must be doing. How is it that you think they're able to kind of do this thing that on the face of it is, is maybe a little like, really your cocktail tastes like, you know, cold pizza or, or a Waldorf salad. And yet like, presumably you and other people are excited to go back there and drink things, these things over and over again. It's not just a one-off. Yeah. I said, I did it. I think it's because they're not gross. Yeah. They're (laughs) really good drinks. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like with yeah, like gimmicks like that, it could be like, oh, this is such a fun idea, it's clever, and then maybe in the execution it like it's lacking. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately they're just really good at making drinks. Um, and that's kind of what keeps people coming back. I think it's this other th- it's this idea of like it's just so much fun. Yeah. Like the drinks are so creative that they make you smile. And so it's it's a it's a really good time and it's it's not like the drinks also even though they're incredibly creative aren't double the price of i mean it's crazy i mean they're they're doing the most inventive drinks and they're they don't have like a 30 dollar dirty martini with a vodka bump i mean sorry with a with a caviar Caviar bump bump, yeah you know what i mean like they're just doing really cool stuff and so i think it's also accessible in that way you know you get a reservation you go and you're getting to have these drinks you really can't have anywhere else, right? You're not just having some, someone else's version of a Manhattan or whatever, right? And so that's, I think, what makes it fun. So it's a fun place to take people, mm-hmm. someplace to return to. You also can't drink the whole menu in one night. right? So I think you have one, you're like, holy crap, this is awesome. And then you're like, okay, I have to go back and try another one or another two. Um, also, because in the main room where they do the inventive cocktails, they don't do the chicken till late. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, if you really want the chicken sandwich, you got to get there late, or you got to you got to drink Stick up front around. with the tap tails. Right. So, I think that that's also kind of a thing of where people come. You know, maybe you go one night before dinner somewhere else, or you mm-hmm. go one night after dinner, that kind of thing. So, right. it's a it's a cool spot. They've done a really good job. You can have different experiences there as well. Yeah, they've done a really good job. Um, so, you know, in addition to lovely double chicken please there's also lots of other people that we've awarded yes um and one of the other people i want to talk about is someone that we've been a supporter of for a while and that is tahira habibi who has been on the podcast before she's our advocate of the year yes and she uh 
is the founder of the Hughes Society uh, and also uh, the Wine and Culture Fest. And I think just someone that is really doing the work to make the wine world more equitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and she deserves all the credit for that. I think there's, you know, obviously there's lots of people who are, who owe a lot to her for yes. their own careers um, and for her championing them. And it felt like it was appropriate to championing her, to champion her. I think there's some people who, she's one of these ones who, she got recognition very early on when she was starting the Hughes Society. And, you know, I don't want people to, we don't want people to forget about her. You know, we don't want people to think, oh, well, she's achieved what she can. Now she's going to keep doing it. I think someone who's working as hard as she is deserves to continue to be recognized. And so that's why we felt really passionate about recognizing her and naming her Advocate of the Year. Yeah, mostly because she's continuing to grow the Hughes Society. She's launching different initiatives. She's trying to take it global. And that's really important. And it's important to recognize, like, it wasn't just a matter of starting the society and giving that recognition, but it's continuing to evolve because there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and I think that's a conversation we always want to keep having. Yeah, totally. Who, who else, Joanna? Yeah. So someone I wanted to, to bring up in this conversation, um, is our brewer of the year, which maybe feels a little less conventional because, um, she's kind of a, a new brewer. Um, her name is Zara Tapatabai and she's launched, a, a brewery called Back Home Beer. It doesn't have a brick and mortar. Um, you can't visit a tap room or the brewery itself. Um, that's something she's hoping to have in the years to come. Right now, she's brewing on her own and she's distributing and distributing her beers across New York City um, on her own. And she's hoping to grow, but she's doing a lot of really wonderful experimental stuff. And the reason why we're recognizing her is because Zara is... Iranian and her she comes from a long line of brewers like her grandfather homebrewed beer back in Iran and she wanted to continue that tradition and also to you know not just to continue the tradition because it was something she was interested in doing but to bring attention and a conversation to the influence that you know Iran and the Middle East has had on brewing mm-hmm. um and its history and I think that's something we definitely don't hear about at all right. um, <laughs> um, in beer. And um, she's she's using the unique flavors that she grew up with to um, in her beer. So there's Persian salt and sumac and uh, barberries and, and other things like that that um, she's using to make really unique beers that people love and that are very delicious. So she's someone I wanted to bring up too um, because... I'm I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of her and back home beer. Yeah. And it's interesting too because as you said Joanna, you know that that whole part of the world despite having really really long um not just brewing traditions but winemaking traditions, distilling traditions, we we so rarely think about uh you know at least here in the US about not just that region but but the sort of uh influence and perhaps the use of some of that flavor palette in in things like beer um Another one that I hope to get a chance to try one of these days. That would be cool. Yes. Yeah. So one of the people that I wanted to name check here is someone who we have now all been to his place. And it is a place that I think is a very special bar. And he is our wine professional of the year. And that is Matt Tunstall, who owns Charleston Stems and Skins and Three Sisters. Three Sirens. Three Sirens, yeah. Um, 
Simpson Skins, I would say, is probably the best wine bar in the country. I'm just going to say it. I think it's <laughs> at a minimum there aren't just, better ones. No, it is a it is it is like it is like what a wine bar should be. It is a neighborhood spot. It is not trying to be like also a restaurant. You know what I mean? It's it's a wine bar. The wine list is really awesome. Matt is very passionate. He is the nicest guy. There is zero pretension. He is not trying to be a celebrity psalm, even though he has a background in at some working at some of the best you know beverage at some of the best restaurants in the country, yeah. both in San Francisco and then in Charleston. This guy is just a salt of the earth, incredible person, and uh, this is this is the kind of person that I think we need more of in wine because it's someone like Matt that is who gets people excited about wine. Yes, you know he doesn't talk to you like you should know things. He talks to you like you don't know things, and that it's easy to ask him any question you want. You know he yes has a love for Chenin Blanc, and he you know, makes that very clear in his list, but he can explain to you why, you know, and he explains it in the list. Why he doesn't just say like, Oh, you know, if you, if you really love wine, you have to love Shannon. You know, he doesn't have that attitude about him. And I think that that's really important and something that we need to have more of when it comes to wine professionals is people who just, man, they just like wine and they want everyone to like it too. So he, he's someone that just felt like a no brainer to us, but both of you have been there before as well. So I'm curious, you know, Zach, especially because we're talking a lot on this episode. Like, what, what did you think of when you, when you, you know, because it felt very unique to me in New York. I felt like we don't really have anything like stems and skins. But I, I was curious, did you feel the same way about it, you know, coming from Seattle? Yeah, I think the two things that stood out to me, in addition to just, you know, the quality of wines on the list and the, and the vibe and all that were, I, I wouldn't even say necessarily it's just Matt's approachability, but, but his enthusiasm in a way that feels that felt very genuine and also as you said felt inviting and not exclusionary and i think there are sometimes people who are very enthusiastic about wine who are wine professionals but in their enthusiasms don't understand how to bring people along with them you know they start talking to you about minutia esoteric wines tiny production stuff they use a lot of terminology that people just who aren't deeply in wine just kind of glaze over at and it's not that those people aren't enthusiastic. I believe that they very much are, but they can't translate their enthusiasm into enthusiasm in their guests. And I think Matt is excellent at that. I think the other piece of it is, and, and you you sort of alluded to this, but I think it was striking to me, is that he doesn't seem to have the same, I don't know if you would call it ambition, ego, or whatever. I guess maybe here's actually a better way to put it. It didn't feel to me like Matt had anything to prove um, in, in absence yeah. and skins or in his interactions with us or just in general. And that's a really, you know, to be completely honest, as a wine professional myself, that is a thing that I have been trying, a place I have been trying to get to for years is to is to feel like confident in my own knowledge, in my own palate, in my own abilities, and in my own experience, I guess, in a way that I don't have to prove anything to anyone who walks in if I'm working, whether it's a guest who knows nothing, a guest who wants to test me, or a, a master sommelier or whomever, that I'm comfortable, I would be comfortable saying what I do and don't know. Uh, comfortable talking about the wines I've chosen and why. And that is the other thing that really kind of radiated out of Matt when we uh, were in there. And I think even if maybe not every diner, not every guest is would articulate it that way or would pick up on it, I think that is something that at a subconscious level, at least, people are know when, when a wine professional is trying to show off to them or trying to talk or talking down yeah. to them or doing all the things that, you know, unfortunately are maybe not inaccurate, but negative stereotypes of wine professionals. And Matt just has none of that to him. And I, it's really encouraging. And I don't mean to say that, I don't know, maybe someone could have that same attitude in New York City, but New York City is a little more of a, you know, show me what you got kind of place. Yeah. And in in talking to Matt for the 
the piece that we wrote, that Tim wrote, education and wine education is so important to him and it's such a big part of what Stems and Skins is meant to be. And there's no pretension there. I think he wants people, he's excited about wine and he's really joyful about wine and he wants people to have that experience when they come in as well. And I think he's just excited about, you know, teaching without pretension, without making people feel bad. Yeah, I agree. So another place that we should talk about, because it's, this one's a weird one. Because you're going to be like, wait, how? (laughs) Our brewery of the year. Yes. So (laughs) our brewery of the year is athletic. And I think people are going to be like, wait, a non-alcoholic brewery is the brewery of the year. Mm -hmm. But when we were chatting about it as an entire team and they were one of the places that have been nominated, it just makes sense. They are one of the only breweries that is really, really growing and continuing to grow. Mm -hmm. They've defined and reinvigorated the non-alcoholic beer category. Uh, They're doing, they're one of the only breweries to truly do flavor beer, like, you know, IPA, non-alcoholic IPA, non-alcoholic well, right? It actually, people will say they, they kind of, they don't taste the difference between their beers and the alcoholic versions. We've also been writing about them for a very long time. So this, this one felt like, the the exact brand to talk about the exact brewery to talk about right now uh it's it's kind of incredible yeah how, they've been how much they've grown really remarkable brand to watch yeah um and i feel like against all odds yeah right um to watch them to continue to to flourish and grow um and to to see the the sales data behind it you know and the projections um and the the money they've raised too it's like, truly unbelievable yeah it's truly unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, maybe I at least will eat a little bit of crow on this. I didn't believe. <laughs> um, I, I think I, I, you know, having tried the athletic beers over the last couple of years, have always thought they were, they were good. They were, they were well executed beers that I could see mistaking for alcoholic beers. Plausible dupes. Yeah. yeah. Plausible dupes. But yet I just was sort of like, I don't think there's a big market for this. And I, I was wrong, flat out wrong. So that's cool. Um, Bill Schufelt, <laughs> the CEO founder, you can, at me on Twitter if you want. I was wrong. That's fine. I was not the only one, I'm pretty sure. Uh, But it's been really cool. And I think one thing that they've done really well, I think in addition to everything else that we've talked about, is they have, you know, sort of managed to do the thing that I think great craft breweries do, but so many struggle with, which is maintain interest in their core offerings while also doing one-offs or at least seasonal runs. And I think we've talked about in the, in, on the podcast in other contexts, sometimes the challenge for uh, craft breweries in particular, but but even other parts of the beverage alcohol industry where, you know, you're kind of relying on one-offs and almost novelty items to keep sales strong, but your core brands are languishing. And, and my understanding is, you know, the, you know, core brands for athletic are very, very strong and they're bringing out interesting, popular seasonal mm. beers and then cycling through them and, and moving on. And that is, I think, a really difficult thing for any brewery to do, um, especially at the scale that they are doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, for the rest of this list, head to vinepair.com. Yes. Check it out. See who our, you know, bartender of the year is. See who our psalm of the year is. Our, you know, retailer of the year, nonprofit of the year. There's a lot of really amazing people on this list. Food and beverage program of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, too many to talk through here, but we do want to talk through three others because we're going to taste them. Mm-hmm. These are three other liquid winners. Zach, since you're in Seattle. I am. 
you want to take you want to you want to give us the first one? I don't know. You're just not here. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. I, I, like, I, I want to say that Zach should just go first. <laughs> so Zach, what 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 winner do you have in front of you? So I have a uh, wine from our winery of the year, Hirsch Vineyards, in the on the Sonoma coast. So good. Yeah, and uh, it was cool. I uh, I wrote the piece about uh, Hirsch for the for the package. So uh, I will say some of what I said there, and uh, you know maybe not step too much on my own writing, uh, but <laughs> really kind of a cool project and and I think this is a great example for for what I think uh, next wave is so good at doing which is both recognizing in this case a producer who's been around for quite a long time I mean Hirsch Vineyards has been there since the 80s um, and was some of the early pioneers on the Sonoma coast the true Sonoma coast really you know in view of the ocean and yet remain not just high quality but st- but really really instrumental to the um, industry both in the Sonoma coast and Sonoma broadly but also kind of nationally and the wines are excellent. I'm drinking the 2019 Bohan Dillon uh, Pinot Noir. It's beautiful. And I love these wines because they're so true to their sense of place, which is mm-hmm. a thing that we love in wine generally. And they're such a cool wine. When I started uh, discovering Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir a little while ago, one of the things I loved about it was here are wines that uh, can't fall on the, you know, can't kind of uh, use the crutch that so many producers in so many regions use. They can't even with a straight face claim to be Burgundian because the climate is so completely different from Burgundy. I mean, they're right on the ocean. Burgundy is very far from an ocean. Um, And yet they produce these really, really um, exceptional sort of layered, complex, elegant Pinot Noirs that are distinctly their own thing. And yet, you know, they're Pinot Noir. And that's that's fantastic. And uh, Jasmine Hirsch is, uh, kind of does everything now at the vineyard uh, from the farming to the winemaking uh, to selling the wines. You know, she's not quite a one-person show, but she's close, uh, is awesome as well. And uh, yeah, I think I think all of us were very uh, enthusiastic a- a- about sort of um, recognizing and commemorating uh, Hirsch. Yeah, yeah, I mean, these wines have always done really, really well for us. Yeah. Um, and it was our number one wine of the year last year. I mean, they're so good. That's a good start to get on this list. <laughs> yeah. They're so good. Yeah. Joanna, what about you? What are you drinking? Okay, so I have a Lunar Hard Seltzer here. Yeah. Um, Lunar is our rising drinks brand of the year. Which isn't a category we had last year in our first ever Next Wave Awards, but it was something that we thought we could create um, with Lunar in mind, honestly, because they're just, um, you know, where do you put a hard seltzer on this list? But they're doing such amazing things. Uh, The brand was launched in 2019 by uh, Kevin Wong and Sean Rowe. Home home brewers uh, experimenting uh, and wanting to create something that um, resonated with them as Asian Americans. Um, so their hard seltzers uh, are created with f- actual fruit from Asia. <laughs> um, the one I have here is actually a collaboration with Jeju Noodle Bar in New York City. It's mint omija, which is a five flavor berry. Uh, tea. Um, I've never had this one before, actually, because it's a special collaboration. Um, but these two guys, they're they're really young. Uh, I think what they're doing, you know, they saw this trend happening in hard seltzer and they they decided to jump in and kind of make it their own mm-hmm. and make it more representative of themselves and uh, the Asian American community. Um, the idea is that the flavors are meant to be Asian, Asian influenced and to really celebrate Asian culture. Um, and they've had a tremendous amount of success. You can now get these in Whole Foods, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Like I think, you know, being a young entrepreneur, how amazing that would be. So cool. Um, and 
the hard seltzer is just really good. So we were really thrilled to recognize them on this list because I think what they're doing is really cool. Um, and it, it does feel like they kicked off something else in the space because I feel like now in the subsequent years, we've been seeing a lot of other brands um, bringing out these flavors mm-hmm. um, as they should. So finally for me, I am drinking our spirits brand of the year and it is Fortaleza Tequila. If you also read the site often, you know that Fortaleza perform, not only performs very well on our tequila tastings, uh, but we did a huge uh, profile piece on it recently written by Tim McCurdy, just about the meteoric rise of the brand and how that happened. And, you know, this, it's a story about a family that is obsessed with quality that is not obsessed with scale that actually almost refuses to scale. Mm. Right. They they are really only all about doing things the old school way and making the purest form of tequila that they can. Uh, they are a bartender fav- darling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are severely allocated in New York. It's almost impossible to find a bottle of Fort yeah, at this point. Mm-hmm. And everyone who works with the brand is connected to the brand are just awesome people. You know, who they employ, the way the, the, what they embody is really incredible. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is just, if you want to understand what Blanco tequila is all about, why people think that Blanco is the purest expression of tequila, you should drink Fortaleza. You should have it and understand what people think of when they talk about a true tequila, tequila that doesn't have additives, that hasn't been manipulated, that's not full of vanilla, that, you know, that just tastes like this plant that so many people in Mexico feel blessed to have grown in this country. And that really is something that is truly unique to Mexico. That's what Fortaleza is. And so uh, it just felt like, yeah, I mean, this, this has to be the spirits brand this year. Yeah. As uh, especially as we watch the category continue to rise, like they are making their tequila without compromise, without compromise, despite what's happening. So, um, we felt that was really honorable yep. and we wanted to recognize that. So like we said, check out the rest of the list. It's live on vinepair.com. Let us know what you think. Hit us up, podcast at vinepair.com. And uh, I'm going to go nurse my hangover <laughs> and I will talk to you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vinepair podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vinepair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.